You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Sean and Rick. And today, we have a special guest with us. It's Marco Picota of Raybox Games. He has a Kickstarter live right now called Escape from Stalingrad Z. I invited him on this podcast because I wanted to talk to him about his history of really of his company uh, and how he marketed and really how he got himself to where he is today. He has a very successful Kickstarter that he, you know, still at the time of this recording has just over a week to go. And I really wanted to draw out some of his conclusions while, I guess, while it's fresh in his mind. And so I'm really pleased that you could join us today, Marco. Uh, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here. I was designing games back in the early 90s, like 91. And back in the day, that was pre-internet, really. And the games I designed were like Legions of Steel, which was a miniatures tactical combat science fiction game. And I designed another game called Infernal da- uh, Battles of the Abyss, and then a whole bunch of different miniatures, supplements, et cetera, et cetera, a role-playing game. That's back in the 90s. And then I took a break. Uh, for you, 20- you actually, um, I remember you told me this, you actually brought Legion of Steel to Gen Con the same time that Games Workshop brought Warhammer 40k. Am I crazy? No, you are crazy because it was, it was, it's even <laughs> crazier. I brought, well, that would have been pretty crazy. Yeah, I brought Legions of Steel the same time that Magic the Gathering mm. Uh, launched and what happens is just as as an aside at these shows back in the day it was a lot of we would trade right so my game was a big huge box set and i traded it for like a hundred boxes of magic or something and like (laughs) i had i don't know how many black lotuses at the time like nine billion dollars today i certainly didn't know but yeah it was it was uh it was right at that time obviously they uh wasted no time to explode and yeah so that's true so I, I had my game came out around then. It was a fairly successful Infernal Battles of the Abyss. Ended up being translated into like five different languages. It sold over ten thousand copies. Um, and then there's a bunch of other stuff that happened, including uh, I had the sub license for producing the Star Wars miniatures game. This is like in ninety five, ninety six. Then uh, uh, West End Games, which had it, basically went bankrupt. I lost the sub license plus my entire investment. So then I kind of closed the company down. 25 years later, I come back. This is a few years ago. I moved to Spain, kind of settle in Spain. It's a much more relaxed uh, atmosphere here. And I get to wanting to design games again. And I reach out to my buddy, Matt, uh, who's been in the industry forever, Matt Forbeck. And I said, like, how's the um, how's the, the game industry going now? And he's like, it's like better than ever. It's like, really? And then I, you know, I knew of Facebook. So I go on Facebook and I start looking at these guys who I knew tw- 25, 30 years ago. And they're doing millions. So it's like, ah, looks like it's a good time to come back. So then uh, that's that's kind of my history is where I came from. And I started designing a few years ago, working on Legions of Steel, a re-release of Legions of Steel. Uh, long story short, that didn't really work out. But what was spawned from that development was Escape from Stalingrad Z. And that's the one that uh, currently is on Kickstarter and and doing you know fairly well for an independent, really it's a it's the first real game that I'm confident about launching, and and uh, and it seems to be doing well. Hey Marco, uh, what's the end date on your uh, Kickstarter? Uh, May second. It's a 21 day okay, Kickstarter. Cool. So Marco, how did you get into gaming? What was some of the first games you ever played, and maybe what 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 inspired your game developments? The first game I ever played was Dungeons and Dragons. I think I'm 54, so anyone who's 54. Will probably say the same thing. It's either <laughs> going to be that or Warhammer, or, you know, like you know that the, the, that's what it would have probably been the start of. So Dungeons and Dragons, forty odd years ago, and I just love playing games, you know. And I, I, you know, a bunch of us. There was a local store that had the, like, it sprung up overnight in a way, and we joined the club. I was like the first person to join the club, <laughs> and uh, from there I started playing miniature games, and Space Hawk was a I really love Space Hawk uh, by Games Workshop, and that inspired my first real game that I designed with some buddies called Legions of Steel, which was um, uh, how we would have described it at the time and now would be that Space Hawk was like checkers and Legions of Steel was like chess. So it was about taking a really cool core concept 
uh, and just making it a bit more sophisticated, a bit more challenging to play it, a bit more brain work. And that was my, the launch. And that was really the big, the big step was then back in 1991. For like a broad brushstrokes, I would like to really discuss your marketing strategy for your products uh, of your company. And in particular, the focus on escape from Stalingrad Z. I want, I wanted to, to see how the legions of steel campaign, because that was the first Kickstarter that you kind of rebooted. How, how did that affect what you're doing today? And so let's get into that. Maybe even your idea, like, like the idea of what you wanted to happen at the time and like how it actually happened would right. be, would be awesome. There's a complete evolution of how this game, my most successful game this century. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, uh, how it came to evolve, it was, it was a big arc. It, it changed. So uh, 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 three years ago, I uh, wanted to relaunch Legions of Steel. I did a Kickstarter uh, with um, just the old miniatures that I had the molds for. That did fairly well. Around fifteen thousand on Kickstarter, another ten thousand afterwards. So that was, you know, it was uh, it was good. Then I did a second Kickstarter of another variety of miniatures from that, and then I did a third Kickstarter where I was trying to launch the actual game as a big box set. That Kickstarter failed. That failure really made me think about what I was doing and what was important, and 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 more about what does the market want as opposed to what I want. And in my mind, I always wanted a big box game like Space Hulk. Those big box games, you, you find like tons of miniatures and they weigh, you know, 10 pounds and they cost $200. And uh, so I had some successful Kickstarters and I had another one in between there that did well with uh, some terrain stuff. And, uh, but the actual game design, I turned, I listened to a lot of people. I listened to you guys uh, uh, on you know uh, uh, on the the different groups and other people, I, I researched myself. I basically educated myself, and uh, and I got some good advice from some people like Andrew Dobbins in Australia and uh, and many others. And and the idea came after I tried to create this big box set game that was going to retail for one hundred and fifty dollars or so. And uh, the thing was that uh, the IP or the, you know, Legion of Steel just wasn't well enough to be able to support that. It didn't have enough different things. And what came to my mind very specifically was why would someone play Legions of Steel? Why would someone play this, this science fiction universe when they have Warhammer, which is a, you know, literally a billion dollar business and Star Wars, which is a multi-billion dollar business. When they can choose those two, why would they pick mine? And that question really spurred me on to like, to realize that I can't try to create a competing game against those, which would be a big box set with tiles or tons of terrain that would span big spaces. So it got me to thinking, it's like, what do I need to do to address this market? And what I ended up doing was answering all of the complaints that miniature gamers have. So I'm doing a miniatures game. So what are they complaining about? And they're, they're the main complaints, although they'll still play their games, they'll complain about it just like we all do is it takes up too much time to set up, takes too long to play the game. The physical space that it requires is a lot. And it, it, it's sometimes difficult to find people to play with, especially during these COVID times. So um, I address every single one by creating a game. Basically, I said, I'm going to create a game that I want to do, but fits the market, what it's asking for. What is the market asking for? Who cares what I want? I mean, if you're going to do this as a business to make money, you know, it's about saying, look, I need to address the market needs. And I love something that, you know, so why don't I take something that I love to do or a, th a theme that I love and I'll apply those to what the market is asking for. And what I was asking for was uh, an answer to those questions. So I created Escape from Stalingrad Z to be a one minute setup time, very fast, that it would take up a space equal to a book being open you open up a, a, a book and that's your playing area that you can play solo, which I think is huge now and very important. If, if you don't create solo in your game, I think it's a big mistake. And which also like, when you're over, it's like 20 to 40 minutes for to play a game and you can play several scenarios. So you can play as long as you want. You can stop fast. You close the book and you can come back to it later. I guess if you asked me what regarding marketing, I haven't answered that question. It was, it was a question was specifically marketing, right? Well, yes, but I really liked what you what you kind of dove into because this is a, a problem I think that is very common with a lot of um, I'll say 
you know, first time creators are typically, they typically have this problem. However, you know, there are other issues that kind of stem from what you mentioned about making the thing that you wanted to make. It's a double, it can be a double-edged sword sometimes where you, you want a particular thing. You want to see it come to life and, and exist in the world, in your case, exist in the world again. Right. And so that's kind of the vision and you did what you could to kind of test the market and see, see if people really wanted that. And you found in it, it sounds like you found that there wasn't enough demand and the, and the, what you shared was that you had very large competitors that were well-established and from what it sounds like, it sounds like you felt like you really didn't differentiate yourself enough from those competitors yes. to to pull um, enough of the market share, and that and that's your conclusion, right? Absolutely, yeah. It's like so, like I was I was being completely overshadowed trying to compete against those guys there. So I chose a, a path that was completely different from them. That could be really hard to hear by creators. Oh my idea already exists and someone is doing it better or to a higher degree, they've got more money to put, throw behind it because you can put a lot of passion and zeal behind your product. And I think that could be a hard, hard pill to swallow for a lot of creators. So well done for pivoting and being able to adjust and go with the flow and see, see what, what people are responding to and then create a product meeting that need. I think that's, that's key. And it's obviously showed shown in in your overall campaign and your marketing yes absolutely i i uh thank you for that and i can give two like like i can't give people will ask well how do i differentiate my product like you know there's nothing new under the sun and i i don't i don't think i created a, a product that is absolutely unique but it certainly takes aspects of several different games and, and creates a unique play experience it certainly is a new way to play miniature games that really doesn't exist before, but that's, I think I'm partly lucky. Like it's not just about like being like super intelligent, but just being partly lucky of kind of having the experience over time to kind of bring that together. I do have like one, some advice regarding people who might be looking to how do they create a different product. And sometimes it's just thematic. And I'm not saying this is going to solve everyone's problems or it's the only solution or whether uh, it, uh, it will work for anyone specifically, but I think that overall can work for many people. And that is this thematically, I feel this is a very strong feeling that when you create, when you decide to do something, have it incorporate two different themes. I don't know if anyone's really talked about this before. It's two different themes. So mine is zombies and world war two there. There, I mean, obviously call of duty has done it already. I'm not, there's nothing new about that, but in game wise, very little if anything so you know uh you know if you want to do cyberpunk there's a lot of cyberpunk and it could be cool and you can but what you can do like what do you do like aztecs cyberpunk that's a completely different take and people go wow how to frick nano spears that's interesting like what are they doing there or you do like you know maybe you wouldn't do this unless it was a bit of a spoof of vikings in space and it's like whoa i want big battle axes but i also want to you know like have a boarding party on on you know uh on a cruiser right if you combine two things you can generate a lot more interest it just sparks the imagination so again it's not like the solution for everyone or all of it it's not the only thing that you need but i believe that's a good advice for people is like look at what you're doing and and kind of combine themes to create a unique way of looking at even if it's like haunted house time travel Right. You know what I mean? It's just, okay, well, that's interesting. So it's a haunted house. Okay, you know, I like haunted stuff and that might be cool. But now there's time travel involved? Well, how do they do that? How do they handle that? That would be interesting. Where do they go? Like, you know what I mean? It opens people's imaginations and you start like like really like actually just saying that now. I'm like, well, I wonder how I would do that. <laughs> so what I want to also tell people is like we came up with the, the, the thought of mixing. What usually it does, just like it did now, is if you sit back and you think of mixing something – it inspires you. Go, wow, that would be interesting. And then, so what does that do? It takes you in avenues that yep. most games don't go because it's a natural extension of those two unnatural themes coming together. It's, right. it's super interesting. I, I yeah. think it's the future of the way games, I, the, the successful independent games will more and more start teaming up with different things that just generates lots of interest 
uh, you know, um, you, yeah, just, I, it's unlimited. This well, reminds me of, I don't know if, if Marco, if, if back in the days, uh, in the 90s, if you ever pay, played like text-based uh, computer games. Oh, yeah. This, this reminds me of Mud, yeah, Zork or Muds Online. In fact, I'm building a Mud Fantasy right now myself. Nice, nice. But yeah, that's what it reminds me of. You take like a couple multiple themes and just sort of smash them together and all of a sudden it's like, this is the new the new, yeah. the new way. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, what was the one with the, 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 there was one with the leather goddesses of Phobos or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> All I remember Whoa. was Hobo Wars on Facebook. I played probably too much of that. So yeah, you know, it's interesting because it reminds me of another concept. So blending, the concept of blending two things together. I personally recommend that. Well, so I'll, I'll give uh, an example that I've heard so Elon Musk, everybody knows the guy by now. He created um, PayPal, and that was his original claim to fame. That was, you know, of course we know he all he rolled that into Solar City and then into Tesla, and now probably into Twitter. I guess I don't know, but um, <laughs> what a crazy story! So he's had a number of different wives. I think he has like five or six children by now, and and has a, quite a storied history with wives. But his first ex-wife said you know, about Elon, the, uh, the thing with Elon is that he wasn't more of an expert in merchant services than other people. And he wasn't more of an expert in the internet than other people. But when he, with his expertise in each one of those areas combined, he was more of an expert in any, uh, than anyone else, um, in both of those areas, when you factor in his experience in one and the other, and that's why he was able to come up with this idea of PayPal. He was able to blend the internet with merchant services and of course partnered with eBay and the, you know, the rest is kind of history. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, game designers can be kind of much the same. Yeah. I think that escape from Stalingrad Z does that so well, you know, you've got that miniature tactical combat. You've got um, a whole set of, you know, just a, a deep understanding of things like line of sight rules and rolling a bunch of dice and what feels good and what feels fun to you. And then also, you know, you mix that in with World War II and zombies, right? Yeah. And a narrative, and a narrative campaign, which is, a, 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 which is I, I can say that I think more and more people are looking for stories. Like, uh, not to say that you know, board games are great and I do play them, but I, at least I do. I'm looking more for stories. Yeah. yeah. I, I want stories. And I think that as far as when it comes to the type of games that I'm designing, the tactical combat games, there isn't a lot of stories out there. And I, I think that it's yeah. also a part of the niche that's missing and that I'm fulfilling with this game here. And one thing I, one thing I would say is when we, we get some games, it can sometimes be hard to work out who this is for. We have to do a lot of like testing to see what audience responds best to the ads. But with your project, I knew instantly, oh, we just have to t target Call of Duty zombies. That's all we have to do is target those people. And in fact, when coming up with the, the copy for like ideas for copy, I just listened to like the audio tracks of the characters in, in Call of Duty zombies. And I basically just amalgamated some of that text and use it as your Sorry. ad copy and it worked really well like the the leads yeah. uh, came in um regularly there was a good cost per lead so i think that's another advantage of doing this is if you get known things it becomes your marketing efforts become so much easier because you're amalgamating things which are very commonplace in people's imaginations yeah yeah i think yeah. that's a lot of fun uh, just simply to give people something a new flavor of something they already like is yeah great of great value. And, you know, I want to chime in on something. Um, if you had something to say about what Sean said, I can hold off and, and mention it afterward. Oh, I, I, all I want to mention is that, uh, which is, is actually not, I just want to mention it before I forget more than anything else. I believe the, the, I, I think you'll all agree that the gaming industry now, which is, is, is growing exponentially, uh, originally, which was for specifically, uh, people buying games to play them. It's turned more into, uh, or not more into, but it also includes a collective collection. People just collecting games cause they're cool and they look good as a piece of art. Uh, I, you know, that's the, the, the shelf of shame, right? Where I bought and ga bought games and I just opened them and sniffed them and, you know, <laughs> they look so cool. And I, I read some of them and some, I read more and some, you know, I guess what the, what I really, the point I'm making is that the market isn't just about playing games on the market is about collecting. And there yeah. are people who will buy, I, I believe that 
they'll be like, with my game, it's happened already. It's like, there's no game like this. I don't have a game that meets this niche. So I don't want to get it. I don't know if they're going to play the game, but they want to get it because they want to have that option, you know, and, and, you know, visually all the art and everything looks great. So they're like inspired to part of it is, is this collecting bit of it. And I'm going to keep to extend that my marketing is going to be about creating more games in this line. So escape from Stalingrad Z is the first game in the operation Z series of games. There are mm-hmm. going to be at least another five games that are going to come after this game, all in the same universe. But if you're a collector, you're going to want to get them all. Mm-hmm. And what's what's great is you're yeah. actually getting two different uh, types of collectors. You're getting the board game collectors and you're getting the miniature game collectors. Yeah. I know a lot of people who buy games just for the miniatures. I have a, I have a yeah. friend who literally just wanted yeah. a miniatures from games. So he, sp- he spent all this money on this, this board game that had miniatures just so he can get the miniatures. Yeah. And miniatures yeah. are a big thing. I know there's that's a lot of people poo-poo miniatures who don't put miniatures in their games yeah. Uh, yeah. because it's a relatively, you know, it's a more expensive route. Uh, but it's um, uh, if you'd like at one point in this, I'd be happy to talk a lot about miniatures and what their value is. Even if you don't choose to use them, at least it's good to know what the value of having miniatures is, which is yeah. huge and profound. Yeah, you know, I actually said uh, that I would not be putting miniatures into Deliverance, and I got yeah, such, said. yeah, such blowback. <laughs> I, I poo pooed like, him many times. This game really came needs in. them. You know, I, every person that I talk to that I play the game with, they're like, "This is great. It'd be better with miniatures." It's like, well, I mean, you know, if enough people say it, then you should probably listen to your audience. And I elected to create miniatures for the angels. And everybody absolutely loved that. I, I feel like some games can go overboard and say, you know, we're creating 85 different miniature sculpts and, you know, um, yeah. going up to like 120 millimeters in size. And but, but wait, just- Andrew, are they going overboard or are they selling $10 million? I don't well, know. I guess if you're Kingdom Death Monster, then you're selling, you know, way more than ten million. Yeah. So you know what I'm saying is, is those miniature games that go overboard, they're the biggest guys. You don't have to go overboard right. to like you. You didn't either, right? And I had a very specific way of handling miniatures in my game that I would encourage anyone to do. And I have had a lot of a lot of people thanking me for it. And that is, I sell a basic book set game. In my case, I can do it as a book for twenty nine dollars. And then I have a $50 game, no miniatures. And then there are four different miniature boxes that you can buy between $15 and $35. And you can pick and choose. So you now have the opportunity of buying the game without miniatures, which a lot of people are like, thank God you don't have miniatures because I didn't want it. I didn't need any more. And then other ones saying, thank goodness you have options, these kind of options. I can just pick up like the hero set and I don't need mm-hmm. to pick up the rest of them. And so this is a really good, that's a good versatile way of having multiple price points, 30, 50, you know, yep. 65s, you know, uh, multiple, you know, where where uh, consumers can purchase at a level they feel comfortable with. That's right. a big it, thing. Nobody it also does that. You. Yeah, I, I think that's I, smart. I, yeah, I was in Gamma and I was speaking to retailers and they were extremely uh, happy to see that. And they told me, it's like, this is a pretty unique way of selling it. Like people you either buy the game with miniatures or you don't, or there is not even that option. So this is a different tiered way of handling miniatures as far as marketing your game. That's a marketing thing. It's a yep. marketing thing, right? It's not a, a, it's not logistical really. And it's not about specifically, you know, uh, making the game better or worse. It's strictly marketing, marketing. How do I achieve, how do I get every price point in the spectrum? And yeah, that does it. It does it well. You know, if people really like a base game, then the easiest sale in the world for a retailer to make is to sell them an expansion to that game that they like. So if somebody, you know, Catan is one of these games that is a staple in every single, you know, board game shop. Because when you buy the game Catan and you you come back eventually to that board game shop and you say, oh, I like this game. It was fun. The first thing they're going to do is say, oh, have you tried you know, see whatever the, what is cities and nights is like the most common Catan expansion. Um, have you tried cities and nights? And they're like, Oh no, but I have five people in my family and I wish there was a five player expansion. It's like, Oh really? There happens to be right here for 20 bucks. And it's the easiest sale to make in the world. And so if your product has something that they can sell, you know, they sell the base game, they can upsell, you know, uh, minis, 
and yeah. that's pretty darn awesome. Absolutely. And, and talking about expansions, I feel like, I mean, there's, um, I feel there's a new space, uh, like uh, what I'm doing. Um, uh, I think expansions obviously are good in, in, uh, for many games, but I, I'm choosing not to do expansions because originally I was going to make expansions. And just like I said before, I'm going to just create another game in that line. In mm-hmm. that it's like a standalone expansion. It's a standalone game. It's just another game. Why make it an expansion? Just here's another game, right? It, it with new characters and new background and new maps and you know, but the same core rules, mm-hmm. right? With the tweaks that you need to make this particular game more uh, to separate it from the previous game. And I feel that that's something that uh, 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 it, uh, I, actually I found that people are very thankful for that. And they're like they're all looking forward to see what comes. Retailers also like that a lot they like the it also works too yeah you know you can look right now on GameFound. you've got uh sleeping gods it's the the game that uh came out in like 2021 it was a very popular game it was like um you know extremely uh well received and they came out uh well it's it's live on GameFound now the uh campaign for sleeping gods i think they call it distant skies right and distant skies is a standalone game that is exactly like almost i'll say almost exactly like the original but with a few different tweaks and they made a couple of modifications to the way that combat works now you don't have the uh it was i feel like you know with deliverance when i removed the ability to miss in combat everybody's enjoyment went up a lot and that's one of the things that they did in combat for this game so it's actually like it has modified rules and it's not like backwards compatible i'll say uh you know with the original but it's an improvement but everybody that loved you know the original is going to love this and they're going to get a new story experience and new you know um like modifications instead of equipping a weapon now you have a deck of cards so you're kind of deck building over time like your your deck of weapons and things that you would draw at the beginning of your round uh turn and uh I think that well, there really is something to be said for expansions is, that are standalone. Yeah, yeah, I think there is. And I'm going to like, like, I personally wouldn't want, I, I mean, if the game is really cool, the new game, that's great. But when I'm talking about making expansions, it's about building on the old, not mm-hmm. about recreating it so that it you can't play the old one together. In the games that I'm doing, or and that I would encourage people to do if you're going to do, instead of expansions, switch to just new games, you can use your old characters. That all comes along with you. They, they, if they survive Stalingrad, then you can now bring them into the new game. Like, cause it's a year later, right? Mm-hmm. It's timeline. So you don't have to relearn the, relearn the rules. You know how to play. It's like, it's like anything that you're familiar with. It's easier to say yes to. It's easier to pick. I don't have to relearn the rules. Like, there's eighty percent of the rules are the same, and I got to learn like how does this weapon now? Like, you know, I, I, um, uh, these guys obviously are doing amazing, and they're big, and they've got tons of money. So. Yeah, who's going to knock them? Well, I'm talking from independent publisher point of view. You want to keep your brand on point. Instead of creating something brand new, you want to, I personally think the, the, the good marketing move is to keep building on what you already have, like directly, directly building on it. Not like I'm making another game and you like my other game. This is completely different. So probably, no, that's, I mean, certainly that's not a bad thing to do. But if you can directly tie in, this is the next game in the series. You're getting the second one. It was 1942. This mm-hmm. is 1943. What happened? Where are we? Where are yeah. we going? You That's know? pretty cool. It kind of becomes like Talisman. And I, I do think that there's something to be said for backwards compatibility. Uh, that's just the term that I use for it. But when you come out with a standalone game that you can use a character from the past game, you know, as your main character, it's like, all right, this character is, you know, and maybe you can even have a customized, you know, version of that character. Like I, I yeah, absolutely resculpts you know? and stuff like that. Absolutely. I do. In fact, that's exactly what I'm doing. That's awesome. It, yeah. yeah. So Marco, if I go back to, you know, the, the different pledge packages you have, you have one with minis, one with minis. Yeah. Is there not a danger, especially if you're a, a small independent creator, in creating a, a package which doesn't have minis and the majority of backers going for that and then you could is there not a danger where you could potentially lose a lot of money on the on the minis package because the scalps are so expensive so how do you mitigate some of those risks well okay um, uh, the 
first of all, you don't need to have a ton of miniatures. You don't have to go like, I have 17 different sculpts. You certainly don't need as many as I'm doing or like the big guys have 80. Uh, you know, if you're going to, uh, there's a whole discussion to have about like miniatures, having just enough miniatures for what you need to do based on your budget. So there's a discussion there. So what I, uh, to avoid that issue is you have to create an attractive deluxe package with all the miniatures in it, right? There will be those people, and the majority of my sales, dollar-wise, are the deluxe packages and the all-in. And then there are fewer dollar sales in the box set or the book set. So my feeling is if you created an attractive deluxe or all-in package, that you're going to capture a lot of people there. <clears throat> and um, uh, the people who were never going to buy minis weren't going to buy it anyways. So, you know, those clients... Um, if the people you are selling to never want to have minis, then they're never going to get them anyway. So you you're, you have to target your marketing to people who want to buy minis, and then they will. They will buy minis, and enough will. You know, if you're going to be doing, if you're going to do a serious campaign and put a little bit of money behind it and spend the right amount of time, you know, promoting the miniatures ahead of time. So that's the other thing too, is about promoting them ahead of time, getting people excited, right? Which I did. You mitigate that sort of issue. Uh, and if you're really worried, like I said, that it's about, okay, what amount of minis makes sense for you based on your budget and do that amount. Great. Now, Margot, one thing you said about, you know, you, you, you did a lot of marketing yourself. And I think that's one thing that, you know, that comes to mind with your particular project is that you have been very involved and active on social media and, and getting your name out there. So maybe for our listeners sake, could you give any do's and don'ts, things you've learned along the way? of how to market your game effectively on social media? Absolutely. So one is a, a lot of people have talked about, you know, marketing six months beforehand or even three months beforehand, some people are saying. But for me, it was marketing from the first time I had the idea to switch over. I was marketing before, but when I decided to create a new type of game, when that struck me, I was marketing that the day after. I was starting to talk to people. So start early, start at the beginning. There is no, you can't be too early. So immediately start sharing your ideas with your group. Of course, so start a group, have your regular page, your business page, because you kind of need that for advertising. Well, you do need it. And then start your group and bring people on and start uh, uh, talking about stuff. When there's 10 people in 20, just talk. You might have to, you might repeat that later. It's totally fine because you'll have 100 people and 90 of them haven't heard what you said before. That's totally fine. So start early. The second thing, another big thing that you'd want to do is uh you know find out the uh, the other groups that share the same interests uh that the people in your group would share and legitimately go to those groups and i did it a bit too aggressively i must admit at the beginning and andrew and i've talked about that you know uh the, like i'm doing a solo game so i want to post in solo and i'm doing a war game so i want to post in war game and uh, you should, but you, you should, like, hopefully you're not just making a game that you're not playing any game. So you're playing games that you can share that experience and then share with what you're doing. So share your ideas in other groups tactfully, right? Uh, without spamming, but still share them. Like you, you, you got to take a step. Sometimes you might overstep the bounds and you apologize and you pull back and it's okay to overstep the bounds once in a while because you're figuring it out when you're going through it. So share across groups is another big thing. Uh, third thing that I did was I... Um, Real quick, when you um, on that share across groups, how precisely would you share across groups? Are you making an individual post for each group or are you actually hitting the share button on something that you put out on your page or on your public group Both. and then making a post that way? Both. So some groups, I find out which groups don't like... like so some of them are, are, are wider shares. Uh, but I won't do that more than like once a week or once every two weeks. It's not like I'm doing it. And now, you know, uh, you know, so you, you, you can do that once in a while. Some groups, you, you got to find the groups that don't mind that because um, what happened, what the real thing is, is you'll find a few sticklers who will get upset if you do that. But mostly the fans, they want to learn. They, to them, it's information about stuff that they're interested in. So when they hear about me doing zombie games, you know, I'm not hitting them over the head every day or even every week. They they're, they like to see it. They, they want to. In the fact, they've voiced themselves. I've seen uh, polls come up where uh, the moderators try to, you know, I think trying to be smart figured they're going to have everyone say they don't like it and like 90% like it. So 
some groups, like for example, um, for zombies, there's um, Gaming the Zombie Apocalypse. Those guys, they don't care if I post their, I mean, I don't overdo it, but I can post there relatively regularly and they're all happy to hear it. No one ever come up and said, you know, you're just promoting your game. In that particular group, they're totally fine with it. Other groups are a bit more sensitive. And so that's what I discover as I do it. And then they complain and then I go, okay, I'll change my uh, how I address that group, right? And then those ones become more personalized. And then, so it's a mixture of the two. It's totally, I think it's totally fine. You just have to know where you can, uh, where it's appropriate, what groups are fine with it and which ones you gotta be a bit more, uh, a bit more sensitive about what you're saying. Now, I'm just gonna end this by saying that whenever I'm posting whether cross groups, I'm literally passionate about whatever I'm saying. It's not like I'm just arbitrarily saying something just to get uh, some sort of kick or whatever. Like if I might be cross posting it to several groups, but I really believe what I'm talking about in that post. It's like, it's not diluted. I don't feel it's the same amount of passion just stuck into each, each single one of them. So if you're doing posts that are lame, I guess, then maybe they're not so good. But if you're, yeah. if, you, if you're like passionate about it, then uh, yeah, then it's a good I, thing. I think that's really an important point because, uh, and you know, how do we be effective and create passionate posts? It's one of the things that I think people are going to wonder in because it's not easy just to all of a sudden come up with this really awesome content. And what I find is that it's mostly, it's not like pre-planned. It's just, this is what I'm thinking about. This is what I'm dealing with right now. And I can write something that just lets all my heart out on the, on the page versus, you know, like, all right, I'm going to post in this group on Wednesday. What am I going to write? I have to write with passion, think passionately, you know, that's, it's more, yeah. it's, it's it? true. I, I can't, as soon as a thought comes in my head, I want to post about it. And sometimes I've already posted twice that day. <laughs> and then it's like, I have like another thought and it's like, Oh man, I really want to talk about this and I have to hold yeah. off. And like, so it's kind of, you know, it, it's very true. And, and of course making it not every single post, but making it personal. Why this is what I'm doing, or this is why I'm doing it. I, or I'm excited about something that I'm specifically doing, you know, uh, adding your uh, personal context in like half of the posts, I think would be important and good. Yeah. And you know, what else I find is that when, when I, because I get that way too, where I, I posted once or twice and I'm like, I just can't share a third thing today. It's just too much content. And you know, maybe it won't be very effective or I feel like I'm going to be annoying people or something like that. What I'll do is I'll post somewhere else. It's yeah. one of the really nice yeah. things about having several different communities. So for me, I'm very active in our Facebook group and our Discord server. And, you know, sometimes I think about, you know, I'm talking, let's say, in one particular Discord server about tabletop games. I find that I should probably just be having that conversation with my audience instead. You know, so I, I don't want to, you know, I might not be selling my own game. I just, but I'm just engaging or I have a legit question, that's something that you should definitely engage with your people first. And, th you know, they'll appreciate that. But if you share, you know, three times in one day on your Facebook group, and that's not a common thing that everybody expects, I think that it's, um, it can get to be annoying, especially if you're sharing in a Facebook group that's not yours, where, right. you know, you've so got moderators and admins that are trying to preserve the group and not let people spam and so on. Um, yeah, I find posting in your own communities is so valuable. People really want to hear your stuff there. Yeah, I, I figure you got to post five times a week minimum, and I, I post probably an average of seven to ten times a week. And that's in my just, own group in my own group. Yeah, yeah, and and that's just uh, you know what because because you're dealing with your project every day or or every couple of days you're you're working on it, and I, obviously right now your live Kickstarter every yeah. moment. You know, even during your sleep, you're dreaming about zombies. It's hard to go to bed. Zombies. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think that that's really cool. I wanted to bring this up about, you know, because you're thinking like a businessman. You know, earlier we talked about how, you know, that sci-fi space Hulk style experience, and you know, how you felt like you were competing with space Hulk, with Star Wars, you know, miniatures games and, and things like that. And you you adjusted a small percent of your game's rules and and the angle of your game like the theme and you yeah. got great results and 
I want to encourage people that are listening to this podcast. It's like, sometimes people are like, well, that's not the vision that I had. That's not the original idea that I had. And they really want to stick to their idea. There's, I, I, I can definitely talk to this one. Yeah. 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 I just, I, I mean, I, I personally, I don't know how you feel, Marco, but I feel like if you make a toilet bowl cleaner that sells a hundred thousand dollars on Kickstarter, you, you'll be passionate about cleaning toilets. Oh, toilets are always so good to clean. <laughs> if you make a hundred K or a million dollars, you know, I mean, well, so to talk, if, to, to address that point, uh, I was talking to a, another friend recently who's working on a game and I'm like, you know, what you're creating uh, is kind of like a, 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 a over at the moment it's over. There's a lot of that product. So you should look at an alternative way to present all of the information you've already created, but in a different format that people are, uh, uh, would get excited about because it's, it's not uh, basically it was a book RPG. So it's like anyone doing a book RPG, I'd be like, look, um, uh, I'm not saying don't do it. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of, you know, fantasy RPG books out there. So why don't we look at another avenue of bringing your, uh, the background of your universe that you've created and present it in another style in a book format, whether it's like my format's the Paths Unknown system. So it doesn't have to be mine, but a format where you can play out of a book right on the book and you can play solo role-playing. I think that's a huge thing. So I was like, I was saying, look, it doesn't mean this new game is better than your original role-playing game, but it's a more effective game in this market. So it, it doesn't, and doesn't mean you can't later do the RPG, but this one, like a, a, a different take has a better uh, chance of getting more attention. And yeah, so to what you were saying, it's like whatever your idea is uh, uh, and your concept is, it's not, it, it's more important about whether you, you can uh, market that, right? And, and if you can use that same idea, but in a different format that will sell better, then, you know, you're winning on both both counts just you know it, it doesn't mean abandoning your idea it means modifying it to suit the market take your idea and design it for what the market is asking for and you'll have so much fun doing that because it becomes it might feel overwhelming at the beginning but really what you have to tell yourself is i'm gonna have to reformat how do i do it in in a card based system or how do i do it where it uses uh you know game pieces in the role-playing game and that just something i haven't thought about so if you if you talk to yourself about it as a huge obstacle, then you'll just undermine yourself. But if you look at it as, well, isn't this an interesting opportunity of how I can shape this in an all new way that I never thought of and get excited about the fact that you're creating something that's different and new, at least for you, and that it appears the market wants in the first place. So it's about like kind of giving yourself, instead of looking as an obstacle, look at it as a challenge. So there's obstacles, but challenge is more interesting uh, it's a better perspective and it's more interesting perspective and it's a more fulfilling perspective i feel like you know because we, we actually got to market legions of steel the the first um edition and it was a really big lead up and whatnot yeah. um you know what would you have done differently in your initial campaigns that have led you to this point and maybe what was some common advice that you abided by that just didn't work as well for you what advice would you would your future self right now have given your past self then well i'm very happy with my first two campaigns for two reasons one it, it was a small campaign that i didn't have to invest a lot of money in that allowed me to kind of learn the ropes without a big risk okay so uh, the advice for new people getting into to create something smaller, many people have mentioned this, and learn kind of start learning the ropes of what it takes to make a game and all the aspects to it. Those two campaigns, the first two ones that were successful, I think I took a lot of advice from the industry, the groups, and I, I, I can't think of any of that advice that really steered me wrong, um, uh, at least that I adopted. Some, the advice I didn't adopt was that you can start marketing it three months before or even six months before. That's like, yeah, no, you can't do that. Yeah, so that's, that's a common one you might hear out there, but it's wrong. <laughs> that's all, you know. Also, I heard about, like a lot of uh, the 
people who design games develop miniatures are against miniatures. So I, I kind of heard a lot of noise against miniatures and that was like kind of holding me back. I'm not sure. But in the end, that's all I sold was miniatures and they sold well. So there was that kind of contrary to maybe the popular kind of belief at the time. But I, I was satisfied with what I learned from that, those first two. The third one when I was was when I was going to launch the third edition of Legions of Steel as, and it was a big box set that was $125 or something like that. And I, you know, my minimum, my break even on it was $25,000 because I'd already developed a bunch of it ahead of time. So I didn't need as much to produce it. It failed and it failed. Uh, I don't believe like, again, I was using the more or less the common, common uh, advice that you'd hear, but the big thing was it, it, it wasn't giving the market what it wanted and without addressing what the market's asking for, like they're trying to sell them something that, uh, you know, what their expectation for $125 that I could deliver as a independent publisher, that was, um, I wasn't able to meet their expectations. They would expect a lot more because I'm competing against these big guys who do the 150 or even 200 or whatever, but they give a huge amount of stuff that I couldn't do. So uh, the, the advice, if, if someone had given me the advice, uh, Marco, you're overstepping yourself. That's the advice I didn't take <laughs> because <laughs> that would be my advice. Don't overstep yourself. Like, take it easy. You know, have a budget and don't try to create something that's kind of outside of what your abilities are. And then that's what exactly happened after it ended. I'm going, I wasn't upset that it ended. I felt relieved in some ways because it was like, yeah, what am I doing? This is like way too big for me as an indie publisher. And then even that was like, it's so big that I don't even know if I ever really want to do something that big. It's just too scary. So I overstepped it and I shouldn't have done that. And I then from that, you know, I'll tell you two months after that, I'm thinking of how can I make this bigger and better? I didn't even figure it out right away. It took me a while. It's like, this needs to be bigger. So I need to do like a more expensive, bigger stuff with more things in it. That's where I was going. So I was like, I got to go bigger. And then like, I don't, at one point, like within the two months, I'm like, what the hell am I thinking about? I don't need to be bigger. I need to be exactly the opposite. So that was my learning experience. And the advice that I, I, I probably should, maybe people did tell me, but you know, when you're, when you're, when you're too narrow focused, then, you know, you're, you're kind of stubborn, you don't hear it. And, and that's the advice I should have followed was to like, you know, take it easy. Don't go so big. That's very important advice. And yeah. then, so that's kind of the evolution. And then what that did in the end was me to change gears and look at a different way of marketing. You know, a, a lot of the time people will make, um, you know, they, they come to me, they have this idea for a card game. They always, if it's a first time creator, it always seems like they're making a collectible card game. Right. So why are you making a collectible card game? You know, the number one objection is going to be, well, I play magic. Why would I play your game when I can just play magic? Exactly. Uh, magic supports its products a lot better. I get new stuff all the time. I everybody else already plays magic, so I don't have to try to get them to like learn a new system or whatever and tell them why they should spend this and why all their magic cards are a waste. Uh people don't play two collectible card games at the same time typically. So, yeah. you know, or at least they they don't I seriously can, play two. I can give some advice to anyone doing a card game. Mhm. Mm the, okay. If there's anyone listening who's deciding, uh, two things with your card game, I, I would suggest would be allow it to have a solo play and allow it to have a story mode. If you have those two things, your game will sell. I don't have to teach anyone else the game, and I don't not just playing a one-off game. I'm playing a story where it could be one-offs, but that link together into something more interesting where there's a bigger payoff down the line. Those two things in a card game, I think, will differentiate you there's other ones like it so it's not that but it will kind of give you some differentiation that's my advice for card game design and keep it under 100 cards if you can to me it would be creating a game with the, the deck or two decks and uh, so a few little extra things that go in there that you can use in the game whether it's markers or dice or, um you know or chits or something that kind of uh, it's still a card game but there's just these little extra things that uh, give it kind of a three-dimensional feel and also like even a miniature like maybe one miniature like if, if you make that miniature work within the game other than as a marker, like it's it, the way it's looking or what it's carrying, those things those things make it more interesting and different. Like I'm, if I was to design a card game, it would definitely have at least one miniature in it. It's kind of fun. Uh, it reminds me because I've been watching the Sleeping Gods campaign lately. They have a plane miniature 
that you actually fly to different locations and it'll sit in a, in a particular location until you return there and fly somewhere else, which I, I think is a very, in, a very interesting use of a single miniature. Yeah. Very cool. So I, I have, I really wanted to ask about, you know, because we've been on this topic of, you know, in essence, what I feel like amounts to appropriateness, well, an appropriate fit for the market on Kickstarter. I think that there are certain games where the the fit is just not as, it's not going to resonate as well with the audience on Kickstarter. Uh, we were talking a lot about finding your audience and for a game, you know, whatever game it happens to be, whatever theme it happens to be, there's a market on Kickstarter that, you know, may not resonate or may resonate especially well. Do you want to speak to that at all? Like, what do you feel like makes a game an appropriate fit for Kickstarter? Okay, well, when you say appropriate, you mean like thematically appropriate? I'll, I'll come up with a, an example real quick. Like a party game typically doesn't do that well on Kickstarter, right? right. It, whereas like a mini heavy game, it, that's like the only place you'll find them practically is on Kickstarter. And right. so um, I wanted to just get your feedback on what makes a game a good fit for Kickstarter, you know, for the Kickstarter audience or game found. I mean, really, you know, yeah, or game found. Yeah. We'll talk crowdfunding and, and those, uh, those two, you know, uh, ways. Yeah. Honestly, I do think miniatures helps your chances of success on Kickstarter. Um, I think that if you can incorporate miniatures in a smart way, or even if it's playing pieces, but you know, you have four and you know, like limited, but cool. I think that helps. That helps. And the second thing is people, I believe people are looking for like kind of everyone says they want to find something innovative, right? Like, like what's new about it? What makes it different? So whatever you're doing, you, you got to find the few spots where you can show how you might be different. Or how, how, when I say different, I mean how the player can have a different experience in your game than compared to another game that, that appeals to them, right? Uh, so games that can show a, a way that they can engage in um, a, a theme that they're comfortable with, but have a kind of a new experience and a different experience that those, I mean, and the, that's what you'd want to do. Those, those would tend to do, I feel would tend to do better, do well. And I know that feels a little bit like abstract, but that's what you need to do. I, I mean, you need other good elements, you know, uh, for the most part, like it doesn't have to be like, uh, expense like the type of art that's photorealistic but it has to be evocative right evocative so the imagery is evocative to the that it, it evokes from them some sort of emotion and you know that could be very simple stuff um it could be you know i would highly recommend and you see people doing it if, if you're not sure what to do go with a kind of um an aesthetic that is a maybe a bit more retro or a bit more something that people can identify with but is different than kind of the big people uh, the big company kind of artwork which is like super over the top and look awesome of course but but you know um create something that's evocative so your artwork the the visual you know because this gaming's visual a lot you know that's what you're selling that's all you've got almost to sell with so visually evocative so that that's important so you want to have you want to have uh minis honestly it's true i i like include minis if you can if you can find a way to include them and afford them into your thing uh, uh make sure that there's something about your game that people will feel like there is creating a different experience that, that they've had already in other games and make sure that your artwork is evocative that it that it really makes people either think or moves them in somehow like remember like a, it stirs old memories um and which i think is a very powerful thing stirring old memories especially since lots of the backers are closer to our age and we're remembering when i see stuff they go oh i remember back when i was like you know a kid and that just so cool like you know so that's very important i think so marco you we helped you get your project up and running and helped helped you market Absolutely. In your opinion, do you think it is possible to go to Kickstarter these days without the help of a third party to, to some degree? Or do you think that it is still possible to get a project up and running without any outside assistance? Well, if you just, if you invest enough time in learning marketing skills, uh, uh, then, you know, 
the the real answer is you can do it but should you do it uh, is probably no so i have some ideas i market some of my stuff you saw it like you know which was okay it did it, it, you know it was you know i learned a lot and i did but there was i it, it the answer is that i should hire someone because they'll do a much better job than i can do and and i can focus on other aspects that'll be very important during the campaign as opposed to tweaking the marketing, you know, how you're handling your budget, and where it's going. The smart answer is to hire someone to to do your uh, ad spending for you, and perhaps someone to help with social media as well. You should do that if you can afford it. But there's two ways to look at it. If you're doing this as a more of a hobby and you just want to do it, then do it yourself. And it doesn't matter if you sell one thousand or ten thousand. It's about creating something cool, like painters paint their stuff and maybe they'll sell that painting and maybe they won't and maybe they'll sell for 500 or maybe they sell for 3000 but you know it's like they're doing because they love to do it and they're going to make some money on it but uh, if you've got a full-time job and you're doing this on the side then do it to have fun and to kind of experience it right that's one thing and then do the stuff yourself because you know you don't want to invest uh three or four thousand dollars in marketing but if you're doing it as a business then you know you need money that's it you need to invest certainly a lot of time but you're gonna to have to invest some money like you can't be like no money like it's just you know so so like just figure out where you know a good place to spend it is is like you can do your own like you can do your own art if you're not an artist well you're gonna to have to spend money on art that's just the way it is and unless you're trained a professional in in market in in media marketing and then you have to hire someone to do that you know if you're a business you know, set aside and give yourself a budget. Month to month, I'm going to spend X a month. I'm going to spend 500 bucks a month for nine months of the year, and then I'm going to ramp up to 2,000 bucks, and that's that my for three months. So that means I need 9,000 dollars or whatever it is, and that's my budget for this project or whatever it is. But you have to have a budget. Cool. So Marco, uh, you know, would you share where can people find you? And... Okay. So. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Escape from Stalingrad Z is a it's a, it's a kind of a narrative campaign board game where you play in the actual scenario book. You physically play on the book, which opens up, similar to Jaws of the Lion, uh, for example, and Stuff Fables doesn't. There are not very many games that do it, so it plays directly on your book. Um, it's thematically set World War II zombies, and you basically start with one character. Uh, and you can gather another th three extra characters as you're going through the campaign to join your team, kind of build your team out. The game itself, like I've already mentioned, it takes about a minute to set up, 20 to 40 minute time gameplay, uh, one to three players. So you can play solo, you can play co-op, or you can play versus where a third person is the zombie master, which is, uh, uh, yeah, so, but it's kind of funny because one to three, it's not really one to four. <laughs> so it's an odd number. The game plays in a series of scenarios. So there's like 40 to 50 scenarios going to be in the final book. And like, so there's lots of, of, of challenges and lots of things to do. And it, these scenarios are set up as a choose your own adventure or like what I'm called the move your own adventure because you're using miniatures, right? So you move, you know, so your choices will change and there's a matrix of storylines and you can divert from one storyline and and never touch the second or third storyline and come back and play it and try out those storylines and anyone who's our age knows of choose your own adventure so it was the books where you'd open up and do this go to page 79 do that go to page 33 yeah it follows that same concept but it's on a a bit you know it's a bit more involved because you're tactically moving your guys around you're searching places to gather supplies you're eliminating targets maybe saving someone who can become a partner and then you'll at the end of it you know you hear cries for help to the east and to the west is a stash of you know weapons that you know was left there from before which way do you want to go and those choices will uh, inevitably take you in different directions and and you'll have a different story every time you play very cool. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. A big shout out to Marco Pakota of Raybox Games for joining us on the podcast this week. You can check out his current crowdfunding game, Escape from Stalingrad Z, currently on Kickstarter, ending this final week. In fact, there's about four days left on his Kickstarter. So make sure you head over real quick and check out his game. And if you enjoyed this podcast and would like more information on your crowd on crowdfunding your game, visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. 
Also, if you have any questions about crowdfunding your game, check out our Facebook group, the Crowdfunding Nerds Community. Thanks again for joining us in our crowdfunding adventures. Stay nerdy, and we'll see you next week.